Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, and actionable steps to help you jumpstart joy in the world, in your life, and in other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. This is episode 192. On this week's show, I am talking all about six ways to lean into joy even when it feels really hard. (laughs) This is actually a repeat, a look back episode from a couple of years ago from season two. And there's something about it that I think it deserves a repeat at this time. For for one, it's interesting that it has started to trend on Pinterest, <laughs> which is kind of bizarre. But if you want to find me over there, I'm at Jumpstart Joy because I need a shorter name there. And it's interesting to see that it's kind of getting picked up and it's getting a lot of traffic over to the site. So there's something about finding joy and sparking joy in hard times that seems to be resonating with a lot of people right right now. And so I don't know if it's just a a collective feeling, but I felt like this was a really great week to look back at six ways to really tap back into that joy. If you feel like you're in a hard place or if the world feels hard, because I think there is a lot of strange and unsettling news. And I've also seen that astrologically right now, it's um, June 21st of 2019, as I record this, that there is a lot of like motion in the way that the stars are aligned. So I'm going to offer this episode up, you know, maybe a way to find yourself centered again and to kind of look at how joy can come back into your life if you feel like you are missing it. I also want to say that it's super exciting. My podcasting class has kicked off and there are some really amazing women working on some really amazing shows. And in our first week, we talk about what is our why and why, you know, why do we do this? And so I I do tell the story of how I have been brought to joy and I feel like joy is a muse and, you know, sometimes it's easy and you'll hear me talk about it in this episode. Sometimes it's easy to play with joy and, you know, it's the happy, lighthearted side of it. And then sometimes there's these times like I describe in this week's episode about it's harder, right? Like it feels like the world is hard or things are difficult and you really want to find your way back to it. But the muse of joy is really hard to cling on to. So I think you're really going to enjoy this, and I'm really glad you're here. If you're new, welcome. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here at Jumpstart Your Joy. Uh, It's a podcast that comes out every Tuesday, and it started in 2015. I love doing this show so much. It really has changed my life, and I love getting to talk about joy every week with all of you. If you want to find out more about the show, the website is jumpstartyourjoy.com, and If you want to find out more about this specific episode, you can find the show notes at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash six ways. So that's the number six and ways is plural. (laughs) And there's a few links over there to past episodes that I talk about. While you're over at the website, you will see at the bottom of the show notes and everywhere else that my... My newsletter, my weekly newsletter is called Three Things Thursday. It comes out on Thursdays. And what I do each week is I take a look at the inspiration, intention, and action around a specific topic that has to do with joy and give you guys kind of some writing prompts, a meditation prompt. It depends on the week, but it's it's really something that comes from my heart and I love doing it. If you want to get a flavor for it, what those look like, and maybe you want to sign up and get in on the fun and the joy of it. 
you can go to jumpstartyourjoy.com. And this this last week, I published one of the newsletters as a blog post. So you can see what it looks like, decide if you want to sign up. And it's just, you know, it's just really what's on my heart. And I love sharing it with you guys. And sometimes it's a deeper dive on what the episode this week has been about. But sometimes it's just inspiration as it hits. And then I give you guys an intention to think on and some action to take to bring more joy into your life in the world or in other people's lives, which is, of course, how we end every guest interview. So I hope you guys are having a great summer. And um, let's just jump right into, you know, finding joy in uncertain times. In the midst of a shifting world, I have felt fairly weighed down recently. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about how it takes real courage to follow a muse like joy in hard times and how following love and following joy in our own hearts is more important now than ever before. I've spent a long time thinking over some of the events of the world recently and there was a little brief pause there for a couple weeks at the end of last year where I just decided to take a break and see what happened. I've found that joy has felt somewhat awkward for me recently, uh, but yet it still is beckoning me on. And at the same time, when you turn your attention to any topic such as joy, which I have for the last 67 shows now, your eyes become open to something in a new way. And in my mulling, in my exploring, in my pondering of joy over the last month or so, and what it means in this maybe new and uncertain time, I found a lot of uplifting quotes and thoughts from others that I wanted to share with you as we kind of go into this solo cast about joy in an uncertain time. So I'll get into that in just a little bit. Before we get there, I want to say welcome and thank you for listening. If you want to subscribe to the show, Jumpstart Your Joy is on all of the major podcasting syndication spots. Of course, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Player FM, If you want to search for Jumpstart Your Joy, you can subscribe and then you'll get each weekly episode delivered right to your mobile device, which is super handy if you are on the go. So please leave a review if you're going to subscribe as well. If you want to follow along, and there are some really great quotes from other people, so just pop on over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 67 and the links will be there and waiting for you. Some exciting announcements. I, in episode 66, I gave a call out to two of the graduates of my Jumpstart Your Podcast class. And there's two more. I'm so excited. It's so much fun to see these great podcasters coming out with their first episode. So first is Julie Neal, and she is the host of the podcast Mother's Quest, a show where she shares about the magic and mess of motherhood and invites guests to join her in an interview format. It's wonderful. She's had several amazing guests, and you can find her podcast at mothersquest.com. Congratulations, Julie, for launching your show. And another dear friend, Christine Petty, literally just launched her show, which is called Free Her Spirit, which is also the name of her website. And it's all about women's spirituality. It's where feminism meets the divine and mystical meets the mundane. I love her show and I encourage you to check it out at freeherspirit.com. And I know you're really just going to love both those shows. There's a lot of heart in both of them. Congratulations, Christine. If you're curious about starting your show, you can come on over and join my very free podcasting fundamentals class. 
on my website, jumpstartyourjoy.com, and it'll give you a great idea of the basics of what it takes to create a podcast. And you'll get on the VIP list to hear about when I open the next class of Jumpstart Your Podcast, which is the name of that class, in this year. So let's get on to the official episode. Over the past couple of months, I've been weighed down with kind of this feeling of ick. I know a lot of us are feeling it. And there's definitely been this air of uncertainty over 2016, both in, I don't know, political. And and I want to be careful here because I don't consider my podcast at all to be a political show. If anything here, I'm talking about kind of what happens to us in kind of a mental health space as a result of world events and political events. So there's some of that. And I don't really mean to take a political stance, but of course, that's nearly impossible not to. In this political landscape, you know, I'll be I'll put it out there and say that I, you know, I feel like the shift that has come about with Trump has been somewhat unsettling. So at first, when when these things started to become apparent and I started to feel the ickiness of it all, I was torn by the importance of feeling joy. Like, was joy still relevant in this world when it seemed like there were much more, and I'll use air quotes around, important things to worry about? You know, are rights going to be reversed? Are people going to be put on a registry? Like, these things seemed weighty and more deserving of my attention than the idea of joy. And it really did lead me to question, is following joy still a relevant cause? Did following joy have a purpose? And when there were so many other things that, especially when there were so many other things that felt very real and deserving my attention, there were specific causes and specific events to attend and very real things to do that made me wrestle with the place that joy played in my life. Now, if you're a longtime listener, you know that I often talk about following joy, even when it's the hardest choice to make and how following joy is not a naive choice. I think this is one of the things that comes up in having joy as a topic for a show or as, you know, a a platform for anything, is that oftentimes people misunderstand Jumpstart Your Joy is not simply about the very easy, naive angle of joy. It's not about the Pollyanna choices of just being happy and upbeat all the time. It's acknowledging that joy is a choice. And my favorite quote on this topic is from Henry Nouwen, And it is joy does not simply happen to us. We must choose joy and keep choosing it every day. I love that quote so much because it really is like a touchstone for me. You know, every day I realize that I have the choice. Every moment, in fact, I have the choice to choose joy. You know, I can choose love or I can choose fear. And I I, I feel that love and joy are very synonymous with each other. The very story behind this podcast is that I chose joy after the traumatic birth of my son, I dug really deep and decided that there was something more going on for me, something more important, something bigger than me that I had to cling to to get through what was arguably the hardest and scariest time of my life. These last couple months and maybe this entire, you know, year-ish time have felt rocky and tenuous and in different ways, obviously, than a traumatic birth. It has felt like the things that I thought I knew were suddenly being called into question. Truths were no longer true. Equality, love, acceptance, hospitality, connection, all of these things that I would identify as core values, all of it was feeling tenuous. And I was starting to feel, like many of us have, 
I was starting to feel hopeless. Michelle Obama, of course, tapped into that feeling. And I think she said it so very nicely in her talk with Oprah. We feel the difference now. See, now we are feeling what not having hope feels like. Hope is necessary. It's a necessary concept. And Barack didn't just talk about hope because he thought it was a nice slogan to get votes. He and I and so many believe that what else do you have if you don't have hope? What do you give your kids if you can't give them hope? End quote. And so how do we dig in and find hope when it feels too hard? A similar question, because I feel like joy and hope are so closely knit together, is how do we find joy when it feels too far away or it feels too hard? As with any muse, and I I would say that joy has invited me in and it's kind of my muse, it's fickle. It's easy and fun and sometimes it's really simple. And other times it throws us a curveball and it's elusive. It hides from us and it seems almost cruel in its teasing. This season has felt that way, like it, like joy is hiding and like it's elusive and like it's teasing me a little bit. Joy is there somewhere, but she's hard to find. And just as with any muse, after mulling over the question of, should I continue to follow this thing when it seems so improbable right now, that this thing now seems simple and naive and possibly out of touch, should I continue to follow it? And the answer is and always is, yes, you should follow it. You should pursue it. Yes, now more than ever when joy is hard to find and seems like she's an arm's length away, right now is precisely the time to keep following joy. Because it's like any relationship. This dance that I have with joy, it takes work. Finding joy, again, takes time, takes commitment, takes love. It takes courage and recognizing that joy is worth it. The contentment and happiness for yourself and for the others in the world, joy is worth it. So as I came to this conclusion of saying, yes, right now is the right time to follow this muse. It's time to see it in a new light. It's time to keep choosing joy and choosing it every day. I started reflecting on several ways to find joy in uncertain times. And so I'd love to share these top six with you. And I want to give a big thanks even up ahead to the other people that have played a part in bringing these ideas to life. The first one is ask yourself what is true for you. While this list will be helpful for anyone who is struggling to find joy in an uncertain time, I'm going to go back to the Trump election as an example. Please note that you could totally change out this example for other things that have shaken your world or caused you to question or lose sight of joy. This one just seems like an easy one for me at this time. Something hit me several weeks ago when I think it was both Kellyanne Conway and Scotty Neal stated that there was no longer any such thing as a fact. Scotty Nell Hughes was recently quoted as saying on the Diane Reem show on NPR that, quote, one thing that's been interesting this entire campaign season is that people are saying that facts are facts. They're not really facts. It's kind of like looking at ratings or looking at a glass half full of water. Everyone has a way of, of interpreting them to be the truth or not true. And there's no such thing, unfortunately, anymore as facts. End quote. And I'll link to the whole interview, including the response by James Fallow of The Atlantic, which, of course, provides a rather thorough rebuttal. But I totally agree with that there are provable facts in this world. Of course, at first I was outraged by this comment, but then I realized that this was actually putting everything very quickly into perspective for me. This statement was that the group around Trump was not basing their election or their way of moving through the world 
on the same, and I will say, as an aside, widely accepted playing field that many of us do. By taking facts out of the equation, they were interpreting the world really however they wanted. There's plenty to argue about here. And I'm going to leave that to another podcast host to take and run with because that's not my show. But what clicked for me in knowing that this there's a group of people out there that claims there's no such thing as a fact was that try as I wanted to make sense of what was going on, there was perhaps no sense to be made. Trying to comprehend the, the platform or the logic wasn't going to help me because this platform and this logic was not was not based in facts. And here's where the clarity hit. I could keep trying to make sense of the election, of what happened, of what Trump is doing on Twitter every day, but it was never going to make much sense to me. He and his team had confirmed that they were not working with facts, but they were, they were working with their version of the truth. Ironically, there was freedom in accepting the reality of this situation, and the acceptance is that Trump won, and he's utterly unpredictable. Trying to fight the fact or trying to change that fact that he won and he is, in fact, unpredictable, or trying to bargain my way out of the reality of that situation would only leave me or you stuck with painful thoughts. And this is where the Byron Katie story comes in so strongly. And I'll link to um, the episode with Molly Larkin where we talk about Byron Katie. But really what helps out here is accepting what is. Accepting the truth. Accepting, in fact, the fact that this is our president-elect. And it leads me to these questions. If I accept what is, what can I identify as being true for me? Instead of getting stuck in my head over what ifs, what matters to me? If I ask myself, do the same things matter to me that mattered at the beginning of 2016? Yes, those same things matter. Do I still believe the same things as I did at the beginning of 2016? I believe the same things. I see some things that with new eyes and I've been, you know, things have become clearer to me, but the core of what I believe in remains. If you look at whatever feels uncertain and whatever this period of time is that you cannot or you're having a hard time finding joy, what can you see if you look at what is true for you? What is true for you in this moment? What remains timelessly true for you? And please note that I'm not suggesting that you should ignore something that is a true issue for you or something that is a true issue in the lives of others. I'm saying with the reality being what it is, what is true for you here? For me, once I'd taken a look inward, I could see that nothing much was all that different. My truths, I love working with joy. I love talking to clients. I love my son. I love my husband. I appreciate hard work. I actually love project management as well. I know equality matters. I know feminism matters. Black lives matter. Marriage equality matters. Loving people matters. And being kind matters. I can still care very deeply about all of this, no matter what else has changed in my outside world. I know that the inside is still true. Those things still matter, and no one can take those things from me. So what is true for you? In this first step, I would say write it down. Look deep into your own heart. Feel what you feel and take notice. So that's number one. What is true for you? Number two, it's perfectly okay and natural to grieve and feel sadness at the same time you feel excitement or joy. 
Here's another thing that I realized in having sat with hard times, whether it be having been divorced 12 years ago, going through a traumatic birth, or even this past election cycle, change of any size is an emotional roller coaster. Judging your own emotions or trying to force yourself into feeling only one thing is denying the fullness of your experience. If you start to deny the fullness of that experience, what often comes up is a bunch of shoulds. And you'll hear your inner critic making judging comments like, if you were really upset about whatever this thing is, you should do this. So recognizing that it is completely natural to have more than one emotion at the same time is is a really lovely acknowledgement and letting yourself feel the fullness of both is also acceptable. So that is number two. Number three, see joy as an act of defiance and self-care. When things feel uncertain and especially if they are being made to feel uncertain by people in power or by people who are wanting to control others. It's often true that they are purposefully working with fear in a powerful and manipulative way. If we fear for our safety or our way of life, or we feel challenged at some of our values, and when we feel like what we know to be true is being called into question, then we often turn our attention to that thing, whatever that fear is. And that's what starts to get a good deal of our attention. It's very hard to turn your attention to anything else when fear has been brought into the equation. Fear and the spin it can take on your life can put anybody and all of us collectively into a place of complete overwhelm. So to walk away from joy at that time and to let go of joy, to let go of our sense of purpose and to give in to that fear then allows that to be the new status quo. So making space to follow the things that bring you joy often means that you're also making space to follow the very important things in your life. Acting against the things that feel oppressive, for example. Making beautiful art to share with others. Creating something that inspires other people. Bringing about something new from the other emotions you're feeling and working through. When you give joy space, it allows you to do the things that you're here on this earth to do. And that is very important work. Joy and love are exactly what fear is not expecting. Because when someone follows joy, when somebody puts radical love into the world, it's nearly impossible for fear to live in that same space. So I would say by following joy, you're being defiant. And I have to say that sounds kind of fun. Don't give those other folks that want you to buy into the fear the satisfaction of you doing that. Don't give yourself that out. Don't let it take all of your attention. And that's one way for it to feel somewhat defiant and somewhat also restorative in a way because you're feeding into the thing that feels like your purpose. You're feeding into the thing that gives you energy and gives you a greater sense of connection and love and acceptance in this world. Number four, see joy as a way of caring for others. So maybe if you're not quite there at, the, at that place in your life where it feels right to give in and be or to, to put forth a, a defiant act of joy or to take care of yourself in that way, but you're still looking for a way to find joy in an uncertain time, maybe leaning in right now would look like focusing your joy on someone or something else. What can you do that would uplift someone else? Is that volunteering? Is it helping a neighbor? Is it 
making meals for someone? What can you do? Sometimes it's easier to feel selfless and do something that gives to others instead of focusing focusing that joy back on yourself. So if that feels easier, one way to jumpstart your joy in this situation would be to do something that is an act of kindness or an act of love or an act of graciousness towards someone else. What can you do that uplifts someone else? What can you share where can you share something you're good at or inspired by with someone else? And I mean this in a really real and active, tangible way, not a share a story on Facebook way. There was a whole lot of serendipity involved with the pieces that came together for this episode. And as I was looking at number four of seeing joy as a way of taking care of others and looking at it as an opportunity to put a greater a greater good and a greater joy into the world. My friend Helen McLaughlin sent out an email where she reflected on taking care of a, of each other as a way of, of leaning into greater joy during this time. And so she wrote in her email, which I will link to, she sends out this lovely weekly email about uh, her, her observations of life. And they really are all just delightful. Um, But here's what she says. The writer Steve Edwards tweeted last week, taking care of each other is also subversive. Subversive not because it's disruptive or inflammatory. Subversive because it's truly revolutionary. Because it's the least expected and most radical modus operandi in a divided country, which, by the way, is looking more and more like a divided world. Taking care looks different for different people. You can trust yourself to make the right call, to know what's needed for whom and when. If you take care of her or him, and seeing that heals my heart in some way, your decision to take care had a much greater impact than you could have imagined. Your taking, co- your taking care restored my faith in goodness. What I'm learning is that every act of love is part of social change. You are improving society by improving life for even one person. Don't undersell your heart's best work. And I love what Helen is saying here because it recognizes that oftentimes when you do something in an act of caring for another person, it really amplifies joy in a, in in an exponential way. It helps the person, it brings joy to yourself, and then it also it multiplies the good that's in the world and often gives even bystanders that sense of joy and and well-being and inspires them to do something else. So if right now your heart isn't in a place where maybe leaning into your own joy or doing something for yourself feels like the best way or the easiest way to go, think of those things that you can do for someone else, take care of someone else and spread the joy in that way. Number five, little bits of joy brought to life make room for more joy in your life. Another really amazing act of serendipity is um, that my friend and former guest, Laura Sims, shared a great post on her site about finding joy, well, actually, about finding your purpose in uncertain times and dropped this bit of little awesomeness. The most courageous people have a history of doing courageous things. That's because courage is not something you sit around hoping will show up. Courage is something you create. 
And of course, my heart leapt when I when I read this on the page. Uh, it also came around just about the same time that I was creating this this episode as well. Um, and the really thing, the thing that really rang true for me here was that when you look at courage, I think courage and joy are closely interwoven. I mean, they both come from a place of love often and a place of really knowing yourself and a place of wanting to do the right thing, even if it's the hardest thing to do. And so in my mind, I kind of swapped out the words of courage and joy. And it sounds a little bit something like this. The most joyful people have a history of doing joyful things. That's because joy is not something you sit around hoping will show up. Joy is something that you create. And so in this idea, I mean, it goes and ties back so closely with that Henry Nouwen quote that I love as well, but that there's this sense that when you start to take that, even that first tiny step of creating a bit of joy in the world or of following what, following joy and what it looks like in your life, just that little bitty step, it sets up the space for more joy. Not only does joy feed itself, but once you flex that muscle and started leaning into joy um, and you've taken a step to get out of the space of fear or just that general meh that comes up, you've put joy in motion. The first step might feel hard and the step, the step after that, the second step will feel a little bit less so. And soon you're following joy and seeing where it leads you and it's lost that overwhelming feeling. The other thing that I love about this is that for the first part, it's that joy feels easier once you've started making it a practice in your life. So if it's, you know, going out of your way to do one joyful thing each day, that's a great way to start. Um, but it's also that knowing that it's, it's not something that just comes to find you. It's not something, joy isn't just something that shows up and says, here I am you know, <laughs> to really find your way to it. It's something that you have to help co-create and something that you have to recognize in yourself or in someone else. And so digging that out and making it a part of your life is one of the keys to finding joy in uncertain times. Number six, explore what joy looks like at the crossroads of whatever else you're feeling. This one uh, is so close to the idea that I think number two, where it's that, you know, it's possible to feel more than one thing at a time. But let me let me parse this out for us. Um, so often we think that we can only hold room for one emotion at a time. But this idea is really what happens if you allow space for joy in this uncertain time to look like something new. So if you, if you look at the crossroads of, I want to have more joy in my life, but I'm feeling this overwhelming amount of ick. Well, what do those two things look like? Um, because I'll say that what joy looks like today for me is something very different than it may have looked like in previous times. The last year has led to a much deeper question for me about what joy is and what it looks like and where it shows up. The question that stays with with me is one that I think I'll spend with that I'll spend a lot of time with over the next year. And it's around what happens when my joy or any one person's joy comes at the expense or the cost of another person or group's joy. There's a lot to this question. 
it questions how economies even prosper. You know, if it, if economies are based on cheap labor from another country, how is my joy in purchasing this item in my country at the expense of whoever made it in another country? What happens when I drive my car and I use fossil fuel? What does that do to the larger ecosystem of joy? You know, how does privilege and where I come from and where and when I was born, how does that come into my joy? And what am I taking for granted in my daily life that helps support the joy that I feel here and now, but that other people don't have? There's a whole lot in this that is deep and probing for me and I think will really inform where I go in following the muse of joy through the next year. How do I further the joy of others along with my own is another piece of this question. How do I take the hopelessness that I've felt in this last few months and channel it into something else that helps others in a meaningful way? For me, joy is an invitation to go deeper, to look harder, and to spend time with uncomfortable questions. In my own world, if we go back to the example of the Trump campaign and election, I'm outraged by what some of I feel his election means. Um, And so I'm going to go to the march in San Francisco on January 21st because it's a coming together of people who have similar values. The organizers of the march are saying it's a chance to come together for something we all stand for instead of something we stand against. That we show that we are stronger together and that we can do more together in, in a unified way. Um, and it's a safe space to explore what that means. And so that's one of the things that I'm doing. And I think it's so important when we start looking at little bits of joy and what they look like at the crossroads of this new thing and exploring how joy can have a place, even in the midst of an uncertain time. I think it's important to look at those things that you stand for. What do you stand for? What do you value? And then what's the action that you can take that would look like joy in this moment? My brand new boy, my brand new boss, uh, took this idea in her annual holiday cookie making. She takes off several days each year to make cookies for her entire team. <laughs> it's really, really beautiful to be the recipient of these cookies, and also just amazing to see the love and dedication that she puts into this each year. This year, she leaned into the darkness that she had felt. And I was super inspired by what she said happened next. So let me read this to you from her blog. Uh, And this is from Jennifer Ching. This year's theme is darkness. It's about taking something dark and bleak and turning it into something beautiful. I tried to keep most of the color out of my boxes. I went with black icing, metallic, and of course, glitter. And the result is something new and never seen before. There is a luxe beauty in my boxes this year, and they epitomize the feelings I've felt, articulated in a pretty way through edible, sugary goodness. And you know what? It's helped. For the past week, I've done nothing but channel my energy into creating and making something beautiful that the people I love can enjoy. That black tar emotion and gunk in my trunk is actually kind of like rocket fuel, and I just let it all burn off. In doing that, it's taken my focus completely away from the crap that I've been going through and feeling, and now, after the project has ended, I feel like myself again. It was almost like an exorcism or a purge, and I am whole again. 
This has been a healing experience, literally, end quote. So if you take this idea that you can look for joy at the crossroads of whatever the new emotion is, whatever this uncertainty is, and give joy the room and the expanse and the space for it to become something new. It doesn't have to be what it had been before. It doesn't have to look exactly as it has before. What is out there? What is something that you have loved that you can dive back into and just give it the space to be whatever it will be now? It's possible that you will feel a new and different kind of joy when you let it be when you live into it, and when you acknowledge the hardness of things. So I hope these six have really given you a basis for looking at joy in uncertain times. Here they are again, just real quick. (laughs) Number one, ask yourself what's true for you. Number two, acknowledge that it's perfectly okay and natural to grieve or feel sadness at the same time as you feel excitement or joy. Number three, see joy as an act of defiance and self-care. Number four, see joy as a way of caring for others. Number five, little bits of joy brought to life can make room for more joy in your life. And number six, exploring what joy looks like at the crossroads of whatever else you're feeling. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that if it resonated with you, I would love to hear from you at jumpstartyourjoy at gmail.com. You can send me your thoughts. I would just love to hear from you and see if this was something that you needed to hear because I feel, well, I know just from the traction that it's getting on Pinterest that this is something that's resonating with people. So let me know what it says to you. If you want to spark joy in your life by looking at the inspiration, intention, actionable steps that you can take, again, you can find um, the sign up for my newsletter and I send ideas on that each week. Uh, You can find that on the website and um, it'll be at the bottom of the show notes. So show notes for this episode are at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash six, the number six ways, plural. So six ways. And let's see next week on the show, we, I'm going to be doing another look back episode and it's because it's the 4th of July week. So I generally do a, a repeat on holiday weeks and this is going way back in the archives. It's going to my very first season and an interview with Franny Berkey who is the co-owner of Franny's Cup and Saucer, which is this gorgeous and delicious little bakery in Point Arena, California. And I just love this conversation with Franny. And I love what she has to say about the passion that she has for baking. She made my wedding cake, so you'll get to see photos of that too when it all goes live. And I just can't wait to relive that really fun memory. So I hope you'll come on back Uh, and hear that episode with Franny. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.